Hi, and welcome to the Stefan Levera podcast, a show about Bitcoin and Austrian economics. Today, for episode 162, my guest is Matt Souza, CEO of Blockware Solutions. With the halving coming up, there's a lot of chatter about the so-called minor capitulation, and it's funny that this sort of stuff comes up every four years, but nevertheless, I thought it would be good to have Matt on and talk a little bit about the actual dynamics and the actual strategy and whether miners actually welcome the halving. So there's a lot of interesting insights in this episode for you guys. But first, a word for the sponsors. This show is brought to you by Kraken, one of the world's leading Bitcoin exchanges offering a high-quality platform with high trading volume and you want to be somewhere with high liquidity. Kraken also have low fees with no minimum or hidden fees. There's 24-7 support. It's easy to sign up. There's 24-7 support. Kraken are consistently rated the best from a customer and security standpoint. It's also now even easier if you're an active trader or institution to avoid friction. Kraken have launched nine new foreign currency pairs, a combined offering allowing clients to be more agile and sophisticated. Don't forget, there is Kraken Pro mobile app delivering all the security and features you love about the Kraken Exchange in a beautiful mobile-first design available on Google Play and Apple App Store. Kraken also offer an OTC desk service for those seeking more private, personalized service for large block trades, 100,000 USD or more. Go and sign up for Kraken at kraken.com. Have you got a steel backup product for your Bitcoin? Look into CypherSafe.io, producing the Cypher Wheel product. If you've got a Bitcoin hardware wallet and you've got a 12 or 24 word BIP39 seed, make sure you've got it backed up in a way that's fireproof, waterproof, rustproof, petproof, and tamper evident. The Cypher Wheel comes in a wheel shape. It masks the words of your seed and you basically use the tweezer tool to push the words or the letters in rather and back up your seed in that way and make sure you or your loved ones have access to your bitcoins if an accident occurs orders are going out now go and order yours at cyphersafe.io this episode is also brought to you by Unchained Capital, a Bitcoin financial services company empowering customers with multi-sig vaults and loans so the vaults are using collaborative custody. So you hold two of the three keys and you can distribute your keys using a ledger and a trezor if you like. And there's a web interface, it's easy to set up. And if you're long-term bullish on Bitcoin, you need to think about your security and going up to multi-sig is a great option there. So you can set up your vault and then if you want USD liquidity, you can put up Bitcoin as collateral and get US dollar. All Bitcoin is stored on-chain in dedicated multi-sig addresses and it's never rehypothecated. Unchained Capital also offer Caravan, which is an open source multi-signature coordinator. So you can also go and try that out. Go and learn more at unchained-capital.com. Next up is Swan Bitcoin, who have just recently launched Bitcoin is better money. And if you want to stack it regularly without manual processing, you must look up Swan Bitcoin at swanbitcoin.com. If you're in the US, you can link any major US bank account via ACH and auto buy weekly or monthly. The Bitcoin is delivered to your wallet or stored with a licensed and regulated custodian. For this type of service, the fees are very competitive. They are the lowest for this type of product. And Swan Bitcoin also have a focus on education and advocacy, and they specifically want customers to hold their own Bitcoin private keys. I'm involved as an advisor with a small equity stake also. So go to swanbitcoin.com for your automated Bitcoin stacking. Here's the interview. Matt, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me. So Matt, I know you've done some pretty cool work here with this recent uh, Bitcoin halving and mining analysis research report just recently 
released, and that is from 17th of March, 2020. So, uh, but let's start with a little bit about you and uh, what what is Blockware Solutions and how did you get into Bitcoin mining? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. It was, you know, I, I really started investing in this space in 2015 and 2016, um, I launched a digital currency hedge fund called Blockchain Opportunity Fund in 2017. And it was far more Ethereum focused, far more Web 3.0 focused. And then probably around quarter three of 2017, a friend of mine had brought up these arbitrages in the mining space and kind of showed how there's there's a lot of friction between the US and China. And that's really how we launched Blockware Solutions as hardware brokers. So what's critical is that allowed me to see how much infrastructure was getting spent around the world for Bitcoin mining rigs. Um, you know, people discuss how there's ICOs and other things getting and the spending on web applications for Ethereum and Web 3.0. The amount of spending in the Bitcoin network, the, the network effects that's created dwarfs Web 3.0 and, and everything else in blockchain. You have billions of dollars worth of infrastructure, electricity spending, facility spending um, to secure the Bitcoin network. That's a network effect. That's that's power. And that allowed me to start to deeply research Bitcoin and, and understand it more. And, and the fund actually did a significant pivot in 2018. Um, and, and we've had more of a investment thesis in Bitcoin. We still believe in Web 3.0, but there's been a pivot due to that understanding. Um, and now Blocker Solutions, we've grown significantly. Um, you know, got, we were healthy through 2018. We, we had a great year in 2019. Quarter one of 2020 was our best quarter. So over the past 12 months, we've probably sold about 30,000 ASICs to the U.S. market, placed about 25 megawatts worth of miners in, in hosting facilities. And, uh, in quarter four of 2019, I launched another fund. It's a Bitcoin mining fund with my partner, Mike Stolzner. Uh, it's called Blockware Mining. We're mining in Kentucky. We're running about 180 petahash, and it's a three-pronged strategy. We self-mine. We resell our mining rigs. We allow miners to mine in our facility. And what we're doing is we're looking to bring as much hash to the U.S. as possible. And, and we're making it really easy for U.S. miners to mine in the U.S. and do it economic. We're getting miners all in costs about 5.8 cents. They don't have to wait two months or two and a half months for lead times on mining rigs. Um, and they have an excep exceptional group of technologists that are managing these units. This group, they they uh, they were some of the first miners on Zcash, Siacoin, um, and and uh, Dash. They controlled over 10% of the network. They're, it, they're called Navier, um, exceptional technologists. Some of them have been mining since 20, 2011. So that's what we're uh, marrying together to, to, to really give U.S. miners a competitive advantage in this space. Because mining is just all about survivability. And that's what we're bringing. So miners don't pay for CapEx. They only have their electricity rate. They get to maximize their hash. Um, and that's what's going to make them successful. Yeah. And so the interesting thing there is that it may seem at first glance that U.S. mining is not as competitive as other countries around the world. Why Why do people have that view? And then in your view, why is that not necessarily right? Yeah, it's actually very inaccurate. I mean, it's it, we what we're very good at is strategy and models. When you have other mines in the world, they may be paying 100, 150,000 per megawatt to pay for their transformers, electrical infrastructure, their building, and then they're getting maybe 3.2 cents. So when you model all of that out and you put in the CapEx, amortize it 
5.8 cents without having to pay for a facility and all that infrastructure and just buying mining rigs and mining um, and just deploying cash to, to, uh, to terahash, that's like the equivalence of, of 3.6 cents electricity and paying 150,000 um, per megawatt in build out. So it's, it's two different models. You could elect to deploy to just mining rigs and get a rate of about 5.8. And that's, and we believe that's significantly better. You're maximizing your hash or you, especially because you're getting in the most efficient technology. That's really what's critical. The fact that these S17 pluses are so efficient, they're so efficient where the impact of electricity is decreased. If you're in our report, we show that one uh, table, how a miner with three cent electricity running the old generation S9 has a higher break-even price than a miner running 7.5 cents electricity running the next generation S17. That yeah, that's a really interesting um, analysis. And let's break into that. Uh, I think uh, let's start, though, with the market participants, though. So uh, as you spell out in your report, you spell out that the three that you assess, there are investment funds, the hodlers, and then the miners. So can you just break some of those down? How are you viewing them from a mining and a Bitcoin price impact point of view? If you're anyone who's involved in Bitcoin, for the most part, is pretty bullish. I mean, all these investment funds and, and, and hodlers, they're just about all long only. And they have high conviction. But the thing is, they could buy their Bitcoin and in two weeks, they could, they could lose conviction and sell and they're done. The miners are truly the most bullish. They have the highest conviction. They're buying mining rigs with a three, three or four year life cycle. They're buying uh, hosting, they're, they're buying a, a a warehouse and repurposing it into a mining facility, ripping out the walls, putting in um, these industrial grade fans. And those have five year life cycles. That's what they're getting married to three to five years. Um, and they're putting, they're injecting all their capital in there and they may not earn back for 18 months. And they can't just turn around in two weeks and sell that stuff, right? It's, it's illiquid. It's not as repurposable. These ASICs, right? They're mining rigs, ASICs, only for Bitcoin. So they can't change their opinions. They're the ones with the highest conviction. But the thing is, they're getting their Bitcoin every day and they have to sell the Bitcoin to cover their electricity expenses. And that's what's going on in the space, which creates sell pressure on the Bitcoin network. Every day, you know, I think it's 1,800 Bitcoin a day, 54,000 Bitcoin a month that is, that is issued, um, you know, pre-having. Uh, that's how much Bitcoin is released to miners. You know, when you think about how how do prices get affected, it's not it, the trading volume on exchanges is really churn. Um, it creates volatility and it affects price more short short term, right? Bitmex had that liquidation. Bitcoin was at seventy eight hundred. It fell all the way to thirty eight hundred. But look, we're right back at sixty six, right? That's that's churn and volatility. From, from speculators. That's not what affects the intermediate and long-term price. What affects the intermediate and long-term price is net cash in, net cash out. And miners, unfortunately, are net cash out, are net cash out because, of, uh, because they have to fund their electricity expenses. It's not because they don't have conviction. It's they have a bill every month and they have to fund it. So we're getting net cash out from, from the miners they have to sell their electricity uh, or their Bitcoin to fund electricity. Sometimes they're buying more mining rigs and we need positive sentiment. We need positive sentiment from uh, funds and hodlers to be buying Bitcoin as well to counterbalance the mining sell pressure. 
Yeah, that's a really interesting way of putting it because you're saying basically that investment funds might, although generally are bullish, they have the ability to exit at any moment uh, and walk away if they get tested. And then similarly, now I think longer term hodlers, they have pretty strong conviction as well, uh, but they can theoretically exit their position at any time. But I think the point you're making here is that miners, because of their big upfront investment, they can't just walk away at the drop of a hat. And so there, in in some way, there is a commitment there, and that's a pretty interesting factor. You could almost say uh, Bitcoin miners are more bullish than you are than than the typical uh, exactly. hodler. Exactly, and 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 when you put things into numbers, fifty four thousand Bitcoin released every month is a quarter billion dollars. That's five hundred forty right five five hundred forty million dollars of potential sell pressure going to miners to sell for their electricity. Now they don't sell at all, but that's the potential. Now, how do you counterbalance that? Are funds and hodlers raising a half a billion a month? No chance. And and of course, miners aren't selling all that. So it's not as pessimistic as I initially proposed it, but that's the potential. And realistically, and that's what we show in the paper, we only model out how much electricity needs to get spent. And that, that accumulates to about 40 to 50% of that you know, half a billion. That's what needs to get spent. Unless a mine, you know, we're, we're getting some interesting mines out there that are raising a ton of capital. You know, it's funds, they're VC funds, hedge funds, they're raising a ton of capital, they're getting excellent balance sheets, and they're just accumulating the Bitcoin. So those miners are high conviction. They're paying electricity with cash rather than their Bitcoin, and they're holding all their Bitcoin. Those guys are the best for the network because they're truly removing supply off the network. They're getting all the new Bitcoin and they're holding it. That is excellent for the price of Bitcoin. Yeah, it's interesting to put it that way. And so, yeah, you spell out some of the potential sell pressure. Uh, but as you say, some of them are more bullish than that and they're trying to hold it back as much as they can. And um, so I think this also comes into uh, the different levels of uh, price or layers, as you say in the report, that there are some miners who are above seven cents per kilowatt hour, and then there are some that are below, you know, uh, three cents a kilowatt hour, and so on. So, could you just spell out for us a little bit around some of those different levels and how you figure out how many people are at these different levels yeah, or layers? That's a great question. So, Blocker Solutions, we've a majority of our business. We sell a majority of North America, a lot of the U.S. market. But you know, I've I've been asked to speak around around the world at different conferences. You know, I was in Chengdu. The Miner Update team threw a great conference in Chengdu in October. I've I've visited the, these large mines in Sichuan in the Sichuan province. We visited the mines in the Pacific Northwest, Washington State. Uh, one of my partners has visited upstate New York mines. So we've they're all in our network. Miners in Kazakhstan, Iran, Venezuela. We just shipped several S-17s to Venezuela last week. So all over the U.S., Canada. So we, you know, we talk to these clients. What are you running? What's your electricity rate? What's your megawatt capacity? Um, and we communicate directly with the pools. I mean, we're talking with pooling. Um, we talk to F2 pool almost every two or three days. We talk to Bitmain every day, Canaan. So we've got an excellent peer review on, on our piece and understanding what electricity rates are at, at different um, geographical locations and what, most importantly, what mining rigs are they running? And we also have our own pool. We have the Blockware pool. Um, so we have, we have miners on there and we can see what workers they're running. Are they running a worker that's 13.5 terahash or is it 73 terahash? And that's how we know it's an old gen versus a next gen. So that's how we've modeled out the network. And this is what's really interesting. The miners with three cents or lower 
they're all still running S nines and and the you know that Canaan ten terahash or whatever it is the eBank thirteen terahash. I uh, I know a colleague who was mining in Kazakhstan. He you know really really intelligent individual. Um, he raised some family money, uh, family office money, and they launched like in November of 2019. You'd think, all right, heaven's coming up. They're buying next gens. No, they have they have sub two cent power, and they went and bought a bunch of the e banks because their earn back is is two or three months. So markets are efficient. I think cryptocurrency markets are the least efficient market of markets, but it's still a market, and. When you pour when you pour water at the top of the mountain, you have gravity, and the water is going to go to the lowest point. It's going to trickle down to the lowest point, and that's what's going to happen in the mining rig space. The S nines, if if someone has six cent electricity or five cent electricity, they have to sell it. You won't be able to mine it at a hosting facility, and it's going to go to the cheapest power in the world. It'll it, it might it might take three times. They might sell it to someone with three cents. And then, and then it's going to become unprofitable for the individual with three cents. And he's going to sell it to someone with subsidized power. And it's all going to flow and trickle down to the cheapest power in the world. And these S9s are flowing to Kazakhstan. They're flowing to Venezuela. They're flowing to subsidized power in Iran. We have a, co- we have a client in Arizona who's got solar power and he's got it's, it's zero uh, cost. And they're flowing over there. So markets are fairly efficient. These S9s, many of them are going to shut off and become obsolete. Many miners are just not going to want to deal with doing the shipping and stuff and they'll junk them. But other ones are going to flow to the cheapest power in the world. Um, someone may have a negotiated deal with a utility where the power is basically free um, or, or they're just paying variable cost, you know, the, the cost to deliver the electricity. So that's how it's going to work. These will disperse across across the globe and get to the cheapest power. Yeah, I love that insight. I think that's a very underappreciated point, And that really comes through very strongly from your report. Uh, could you please just outline a little bit around what the different rigs are. So you've got the you know, old generation Bitmain S9 and the next generation S17. Can you just spell out a little bit for the listeners around, you know, what, what's that dynamic there? And what are the different generations? That's a great question because this, this really influences the market. Um, I think we focus on two, you know, two units. The S9, which is 13.5 terahash and consumes 1400 watts. Now the S17 plus, which is what we're running at Blocker Mining, that is 73 terahash and consuming 3000 watts. So it's about, it's about 2.1 times the amount of energy consumption, but it's about 5.5, I think, five, six, maybe. Yeah, six, six times the terahash output. So so 2.1 more watt consumption, but six, about six times the terahash output, right? So you're, you're consuming two times the watts, but getting six times the output, that is radical efficiency, significant efficiency. So what does that what does that do? You know, before I needed to run seventy machines, seventy S nines to get one petahash. Now I'm running fourteen machines to get one petahash. Seventy S nines to get one petahash. Fourteen S seventeen pluses to get one petahash. And and the watt consumption, you run the math. You're you're you're. Uh, I think it's so fourteen times times 3000 watts that's like 4.2 right and and the s the s uh s9s 1400 watts times times uh times 70 here i got my calculator right here 
78 times 1400 that's 90 98 watts so it's 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 significantly more efficient and what that does is it reduces the impact of electricity because you're consuming less watts to get more hash and that's why it keeps and that's why it keeps that's why it keeps these uh, high electricity miners in the game. So people with five cents, six cents that are at hosting facilities, they can mine very profitably if they're in the next gen. But if they have S nines, they've blown out. You got to be two and a half cents or lower because of you know difficulty in the price of Bitcoin. So it's a complete yep. game changer. Yeah, and so so I guess that's so you're outlining there why if you have a high electricity cost, not like crazy high, but like reasonable in the high in the higher ranges, you can still make it work with next generation hardware. And then you're saying also that if you have in the lower range of electricity cost, right, you're in the better end there. You can make it work even with the old hardware. Now the other question I guess is is it just that because of the capital expenditure required to get the new hardware, that's why sometimes people will stay using the old hardware if they have a good electricity cost. You fit it on the head. There's an opportunity cost. The opportunity cost of depleting your Bitcoin treasury to upgrade to next gen, if you're at two and a half cents or lower, it doesn't make sense. You're better off holding the Bitcoin. You're not really doing much for your your shutoff price. You're not really lowering your break-even price that much. And, and it just doesn't make sense to take on spending, you know, 2000 or 2500 uh, for, for a next gen, depleting your Bitcoin. And you, it's, it's a game of marginal returns. You're hitting marginal returns because your electricity expense is lower. But if you're at six cents, you have no choice. You got to get the next gen. And that's why, and that's what's really cool about this and how we've modeled it all out. You know, block mining, we're at, we're at 5.5 cents. And we're able to, we're better off not depleting our capital towards infrastructure, uh, you know, building out a facility, transformers, because we're in the newest technology, the most efficient technology. So we're actually far better off having the 5.5 cent rate, not deploying 150 or 200,000 per megawatt for transformers, switch gears, electrical infrastructure, paying for management, paying for a facility, rent, all that stuff. We're better off deploying all that capital just into machines, maximizing our hash. And it's because the 5.5 cents isn't as impactful to us because we're in such efficient machines. Yeah, right. And just for some context of the listeners, just reading from the chart here, at 5.5 cents uh, electricity rate per kilowatt hour, the break-even cost, if you were on S9s, is 7000 uh, that's your seven thousand and sixty-two dollars um, Bitcoin price, but the break-even cost at S seventeen is two thousand seven hundred. So it's a big difference there because you're using the next generation hardware. Um, so I think this is a much more accurate way to think of this idea of shutting off. And so uh, Matt, could you just explain a little bit around this idea of minor capitulation, and then why is that? so commonly misunderstood or what's wrong about people who say, oh, miners are going to capitulate and it's all over for Bitcoin. It's, it's, I call it a healthy cleanse. It's, it's, look at, look at what happens. It's an efficiency. We're creating efficiencies in the market. You know, I, I think one of the biggest, I don't want to get too deep in uh, what's going on with the economy and all that stuff. It, it's going to be a big tangent, but when you do bailouts and, and, and all that stuff, you're, you're keeping inefficient companies in the game. Um, there's things that you need to bail out and kind of intervene a bit, but but there's no reason everyone should get a bailout. If you're if you're an inefficient company, you you go through bankruptcy 
an efficient company comes, takes your assets and takes pieces of your departments that are healthy and profitable and, and the stuff that's unprofitable gets wiped out. And that's healthy for an economy. Um, mining, mining is one of the best um, the, uh, examples of this. You get, you get a miner who overspent on their facility, have S9s running, running at seven cent electricity, they should get wiped out. They, they are going to get blown out. And what happens is there's 12 and a half Bitcoin that's released. That's going that every, every, you know, every block. That's going to go to whoever is mining. So once those miners, when the price of Bitcoin goes down and those miners shut off, when the price of Bitcoin goes down, it creates margin pressure for everyone on the network. Now, when the inefficient miner shuts off, the Bitcoin he was earning gets distributed to everyone else. And that improves the margins of the miners that survive. And that's what's critical. It's, it's a self-correcting mechanism. It, it's, it's, minor capitulation is about difficulty and then also inefficient miners blowing out. The inefficient miners blow out, difficulty adjusts, right, right now, in a couple hours, difficulty is going to adjust 16 or 17%. It's going to be one of the largest ever. The price of Bitcoin went down. Everyone's experiencing um, margin compression. All these miners running S9s probably have shut down. And we, we watched the pools. All the Asian pools were really shutting down. So I think it's a lot in, in uh, Russia and China that are actually shutting down their S9s. They're, they're no longer going to earn Bitcoin. And that Bitcoin is going to go to the guys who are running S17s and who are running efficiently. And their margins are going to get better. Um, it's going to right now. Bitcoin's at sixty six hundred. Um, in in a couple hours, as as difficulty adjusts sixteen percent, it's going to be like Bitcoin being at seventy eight hundred. That's how it works because the margin because of difficulty, profit goes up sixteen percent, and that's that's what's critical. Capitulation is a very good thing. It's removing the inefficient miners. They no longer get to their get their rewards. Their rewards get allocated to the efficient miners, the guys that have deployed uh, correctly, that have low electricity. And those are the strong hands. We want Bitcoin in their hands because they don't have to sell as much Bitcoin. Their margins are good. They don't have to sell as much Bitcoin. There's less sell pressure on the network and Bitcoin price could increase. I almost think of it like the equity markets. Think about like Fidelity Contra or Vanguard account. These are the large funds who know what they're doing. And, and when the market drops a bit, they don't, ju they don't sell. They're coming in and they're supporting the market and they're buying. And, and, and these equities, they go into strong hands and they have a time horizon of one year, one, one to four years. So coin is getting, when you get minor capitulation, Bitcoin starts getting allocated to the efficient miners with strong balance sheets, low electricity rates, the proper mining infrastructure. And it's, it's getting accumulated with guys who've been doing this for years, who have seen this show before, and they're going to be holding that Bitcoin. And now you're taking Bitcoin off, Bitcoin supply off the market, and you're reducing sell pressure on the network. And that's what positions us to move up to the next leg in the price of Bitcoin. Yeah, that's really fascinating. So I guess just to summarize for listeners, it's something like as the Bitcoin price tanks, the, some miners have to shut off, right? The inefficient miners have to shut off and it becomes more profitable for the better miners. And also we get the downward difficulty adjustment, meaning it becomes slightly less difficult to mine that Bitcoin. And that is what in turn rewards the best miners because they can now make more for the same amount of work that they were doing. And then as you were saying, they're the strongholders, they want to hold. And so that in some way 
diminishes or decreases the downwards cell pressure that exists just permanently or just uh, continuously on the network. You're writing our second report. You've got it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it was, a, it was a great explanation from you and from uh, reading the report. I think that was really interesting. And so let's now that what we spoke through there was like the example where the price goes down, right? We have a crash. What Can you just talk through what it looks like when the price is on the bull run? Like when the price is rising, what does it look like? Does that invite you know more people into the market and then some of those people are inefficient and then they just get wiped out of the next crash? Yeah, it's it's totally cycles. And and just, you know, I you explained it really well. I think we really need to give a, a tip of the hat to Satoshi. I mean, the most ingenious, one of the most ingenious pieces of the Bitcoin network is difficulty. It's just a self-correcting mechanism that that maintains the margins of of the efficient miner. Um when when too many miners come online and Bitcoin corrects, you know, too many miners come online, margins get compressed. Bitcoin corrects and miners have to shut off, then difficulty kicks in, improves the margins for the efficient miners. And now what you just discussed, it's going to be the opposite. Difficulty is going to, it's going to, when, when Bitcoin starts to rise, everyone starts buying mining rigs. You know, it's, it's human psychology. It's truly a market. People don't buy low and sell high. Most people buy high and sell low, right? They, it's, it's fear and greed. So when Bitcoin starts to rise, all these miners start deploying uh, to mining rigs again. And, and there's that finite amount of Bitcoin that's released. So it's getting distributed amongst several miners. And that's what makes difficulty go up. And difficulty, like I said, it's a self-correcting mechanism. Difficulty is going to punish all these miners that have chased price um, and deployed mining rigs. If you're going to get difficulty is going to go up. Mining margins are going to compress. And, and once Bitcoin corrects in price, those inefficient miners get wiped out again and the cycle continues. Then, then difficulty will be a positive where it's going to adjust lower and restore margins. So it, it, it keeps things in a band. Difficulty keeps margins in a band. And when price gets too high and too many miners come online, you get mar- uh, margin compression. And when you get minor capitulation on the downside, Bitcoin price uh, corrects. Miners shut off, difficulty adjusts favorably, and margins get better. So it's why I say difficulty is this ingenious self-correcting mechanism. It's kind of a gravity. And what it's doing is it, it brings margins back for those efficient miners over the intermediate and long term. Very cool. And so if we so we've spoken through if Bitcoin's price goes down or up just on its own. Now, if we talk about actually the halving impact, right? So the amount of block reward or block subsidy, to be precise, halves. Uh, can you talk us through some of the ways to think through that? Yeah. So it's it's going to be extremely healthy. We we believe that the miners at about six point five, and and there's differences. You know, you actually brought this up. I kind of missed it uh, explaining it, but. If you're paying 6.5 cents, that's not horrible if you're not paying anything towards CapEx. If you're just paying for machines and you're getting 6.5, that's pretty good. If you're getting 3 cents, you're paying for infrastructure and all that stuff. And that's how that balances out. So that's critical. I I don't recommend miners who are paying 6.5, 7 cents, 8 cents, and they're running it at their house, paying for their own infrastructure, transformers, build out. You're going to get wiped out. That's horrible. 
So that's number one. When you see those layers of people at 5.5, 6, 6.5, 7, they're in hosting facilities, but that's also their break-even price at the end of the day. So I just wanted to clarify that. Now, when you're discussing the halving and what's happening, we are we encourage the halving. We don't fear it. We welcome it because we understand what it's going to do and what it's going to do for our profit margins over the next six months. Being at our layer, 5.5 for blocker mining is extremely healthy. What's going to happen is it's it's going to be it's going to be like an onion. There's going to be layers that peel off this onion. Those ne- those S9s are going to blow out. If Bitcoin's still around 10,000 um, after the halving, S9s are going to blow out. That's all the old generation. Mid generation. So S9s from seven cents to probably two and a half, three, two and a half cents. They're going to blow out. They're going to shut off. Now you have that other tier of of those T2, T30s, the inner silicons, they're like mid-generation. Those are all going to blow out too, um, up to probably five cents. They are going to blow out. And if Bitcoin happens to be at five, 6,000 after the halving, even, even six and a half, 7,000, miners with seven cents running S17s are going to have to shut off. So, so people at six and a half and lower running next gen, they're going to have an amazing difficulty adjustment, right? When all those miners shut off, Difficulty is going to adjust significantly, 30, 40%, and their margins are going to come back. There's going to be friction. It's not like a light switch. You know, it takes time for these miners to shut off because a lot of these miners who are in hosting contracts, you know, they don't, if, if they don't, if they don't pay their hosting contract, they lose their equipment. So they're not going to just let their equipment go. They're going to wait to deplete their balance sheets and all that. So it might take two to four months of friction for all that to wipe out. And, and there's other large miners who have, negotiated rates with utility companies that they have to consume a specific amount or or their four cent electricity turns into five and a half. There's all types of deals out there that are going to make some miners operate at a loss, which creates more sell pressure because all the Bitcoin they're mining is is going to get sold. And then they have to tap into their treasury and that has to get sold too. So that's more sell pressure. So we need all that to blow out. I, I think, you know, I don't know. I, I don't like price targets, I, but if Bitcoin is in these suppressed levels through the halving, it may take another two or three months of extreme minor capitulation for all those miners to blow out. And then difficulty is going to adjust and profit margins are actually going to be better for these efficient miners running the uh, 17 pluses. And in that six cent band or lower, um, their profit margins are going to be better after the halving than before. Right. And so it's an interesting insight there as well that the typical thing you hear people say is, oh, but if the price drops, then these miners can instantly shut off. But it's an interesting point you make there that that's not reality for many miners. They've got negotiated deals in place. They have a certain uh, contract in place where they can't just immediately turn off or not all of them can at least. And uh, and then some of them are playing the speculation game as well, where they may temporarily just wear the loss because they're they're kind of hoping for a long term bullish uh, aspect. Correct. And that's that's the worst part. I mean, I think that's what really drove the two downturns. The one, you know, after after we peaked out in June 2019, you know, because I I, I run the hedge fund as well, and I trade OTC uh, with one of the largest groups in Chicago. We discuss analyses and they were telling me how their miner, mining clients, they pumped the brakes. So when Bitcoin was going from 8,000 to 13,000, they stopped selling their Bitcoin. They were looking at 20,000. They're not, they weren't interested in the moon. They were interested in Mars. So that, <laughs> that's where they thought we were going. 
They stopped selling their Bitcoin and then Bitcoin rolled over at 13,000. It went till, you know, 12,000, 11,000, 10,000. And these guys started feeling the pressure and they started puking. And, and that's what drove it. You know, that's what drives it down. It's, it's miners that don't, they create a plan and they don't trade the plan. You got to have a plan. You got to have a strategy and you stick with it. It's a game of discipline. Mining is all about survivability, deploying at the right times and, and being, having an excellent treasury management. And some of these guys elect to turn into speculators and that hurts them significantly. Uh, and, you know, in, in uh, January, I was so concerned because I heard the same thing from the OTC desk. They're like, yeah, these guys, they're not selling. And I knew once we get, get to about 7,800, they're all going to start puking again. And that's, you know, you had that sell pressure. And then, of course, the BitMEX liquidations, people being on margin, coupled with the U.S. equities really driving all assets lower. It was just a perfect storm for the sell-off. So, Yeah, that's an interesting one. And when it comes to electricity deals, right? So as you say, it's a very important factor. What is your electricity rate? Now, I've heard that it can be difficult to negotiate a good rate or you might have trouble staying in a certain area that you might, you know, there might be a political risk of having the miner in that jurisdiction or you kind of get shunted out. What are some of the strategies and ways to try and negotiate a a good electricity rate and keep that rate? So in the, you know, in the US, there's actually far more stability. Like I, I, I just couldn't, there's so much volatility in Bitcoin mining. I don't know how people do it in some of these other countries because you can just get shut down overnight. There's like that. There's enough volatility and problems in Bitcoin mining. I I don't know how people do it with the with uh you know that you you don't get excellent uptimes with the power and you know if, if your internet's down 20 percent of the time, what good is that? Your revenue is down twenty percent, right? A lot of these countries have blackouts and 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 twenty percent of the day power is shut off and people are running mining rigs there. So it, to to us, it's you know from a risk management perspective, I don't I don't get involved in an asset where I could just lose. There's a there's a fifteen or twenty percent chance where I just lose because it's not in my control. That doesn't make sense to me, and that's why it's so critical to to to, to be deploying in like the U.S. or Canada where there's stability and and the municipalities are working with you and they appreciate you because they have you know a lot of mining operations. We're not. Running them in in this in New York City or the or Chicago or L.A., you're going into rural areas where they have excess electricity, cheap land. You're right. Markets are efficient. You go where the power is cheap. Um, the utilities have excess, and you're you're. It's a communal relationship. Now, I think with utilities, a lot there's not a lot of negotiation power, but you have to go to places. You know, you want to try and get this cocktail of cheap power cheap land and a good climate. It's, it's, it's difficult, but it's out there. You got to do, you got to do the work. And, and if you can get a place that has a lot of excess power, then, then, then you have a communal relationship, right? But you're not really going to be able to push utilities around. You still are somewhat at their mercy, but the goal is to uh, have three to five year contracts locked in with utilities if they'll do that. I mean, I've, I've got a really savvy group in the state of Washington. They've been around the block for a few years and, and uh, they've done a great job with, with uh, negotiating their contracts. I know they're sub three cents and, and they've they put in a lot of work. They did the due diligence and they got it done. So it can be done. Yeah. And is there, do you face, I suppose in the US and Canada, mining operations will face a little bit more 
scrutiny around things like auditing and so on. But at the same time, that might also help you from an outside investor point of view. Is that has that been your experience? Yeah, I mean, we we are a, a U.S. entity. We get our audits, everything you know, by the book. It's good for us, and it's good for our investors, right? Our LPs want it, and makes it a more attractive product. It allows us to get debt financing as well. So absolutely. I mean, we, we pay our taxes, everything. This is, like I said, this is a game. Mining is a game of not screwing it up. Um, from from what you're buying to how you're operating to the treasury management, to the to the regulation, to the taxation. Mining is, it's it's a very lucrative operation. Um, you know, with, with our with our mining fund, Bitcoin is down. I don't know what it's down on the year, maybe 30%. We're up, we're up significantly. We make money in a sideways and downward market. If you're holding Bitcoin, you're losing money. If you're mining and you have a diversified product like ours, where, where you self-mine, you resell rigs, you take on hosting contracts, you're, you have three revenue streams, right? And, and that's allowed us to, to, to significantly outperform the price of Bitcoin. So, so from our perspective, we're, we're trying to do the, all the small things right. We're trying to be very diligent, be very disciplined with our treasury management, and it's a game of survivability. Miners are survivors, and 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 we're going to be in the game. It's it's about staying in the game. A lot of other miners blow out, make poor decisions, overspend, and they blow out. And and a lot of times, with whether it's investing in equities or assets, you make a majority of your money in a month or two of the whole year. You know, and when Bitcoin went from five thousand to ten thousand, margins were insane. I mean, earnbacks were so short. So you got to be in the game. If you take yourself out of the game, it's game over, right? So if, if, if Bitcoin, if difficulty is going down as it is and lead times are two and a half months and out of nowhere, Bitcoin sprints up to 10,000 and we have our mining rigs running, we're going to make, we're going to make eight months worth of money in, in two months. So you got to be diligent. You got to be doing the right things. You stay in the game and you're going to have segments of the year one or two month segments of the year where you're going to make 80% of your money. So you got to be positioned. Yeah, that's also a really fascinating insight. And it makes a lot of sense when you think about it, because it's like you've set up your whole operation to try and be efficient, have a certain cost. But then all of a sudden, the thing you're making or the thing you are producing has just shot up in value because Bitcoin just does Bitcoin things and goes volatile. Exactly. And then it just during that period, you're just minting it right so that's a really interesting um and it's it's kind of aligns as well with um even if you look at people like thomas lee who talks about bitcoin from an investment point of view he says if you weren't holding bitcoin there were certain days in the year where if you just weren't holding bitcoin on that day you missed out on a massive return and it's a similar kind of aspect with mining because if you weren't uh mining in a good uh operational cost uh then you missed out on the massive gain that was available during that day Exactly, exactly. And unfortunately, and that's that's how we're set up. We have our mining rigs, we're accumulating. But unfortunately, most miners, they see those days where Bitcoin spikes and then they're ordering their mining rigs and then they're not getting plugged in for two and a half months. And right, our self-correcting friend difficulty has already punished them and brought margins back to normal. And then they get their mining rigs two and a half months later and margins have compressed again and normalized. Right. So that's why, as you said, you got to be in the game and position when the opportunity, if the opportunity is there and you're not ready, you miss the opportunity. 
So you have to yeah. be, you have to be positioned before the opportunity comes. Yeah, it's like that. Uh, luck is when preparation meets opportunity, kind of thing. So, I guess projecting out, right? Like, so we're all bullish on Bitcoin. We think this thing is going way, way higher. What does it look like when the block reward component, sorry, the block subsidy component of the block reward comes down, and well, hopefully, most of that, a lot more of that reward is coming out of fees. Do you think that changes the dynamic there for mining? How you think about mining? And I know this is kind of maybe. 15 years out do you have any thoughts around what that looks like yeah i um it doesn't concern me at all (laughs) this is what's interesting i think bitcoin is digital gold i don't think fees are ever going to drive the network and and we need to put things into perspective right now if i have a hundred thousand in cash and i park it in a bank i'm paying a fee in Germany, you're paying negative interest. In Japan, you've been paying negative interest rates. In Germany now, you're paying negative interest rates. So we can go to a, I believe, if this matures out five, 10 years, Bitcoin's going to be at a significantly higher price. There's going to be miners, there's going to be holders with $100, $100 million worth of Bitcoin, $10 million worth of Bitcoin. If I buy gold right now and I, I buy a million dollars worth of gold, I pay insurance. I pay, you know, all the storage costs. So I'm paying essentially a negative interest rate right now if I have gold, a significant amount, right? It's in a vault. You don't keep it in your house if you got, you know, a significant amount. So when you look at the parallel systems or comparable assets, people are already paying a fee for to store these these store values. And now currencies, they're doing it. If you put your money in a bank account, you're paying a negative interest rate. So that's the world we already live in. Now with Bitcoin, forget mining rewards getting halved and transaction fees. We can go to zero rewards. And, and if, if we have a robust system in 10, 20 years where, where this stuff is valuable and it's, it's like digital gold, well, people are going to be willing to pay a quarter percent. And, and you, don't have to, right? you don't have to put it in a vault because you have, you have your private keys. So that cost isn't there. But I'm willing to pay a quarter percent to the miners to subsidize them because the comparable world like gold or, or currencies with negative interest rates are already there and they're probably more expensive. And, and, and if I want to move my gold, it's not portable like digital currency. Jump on a plane, go, go wherever you got your digital currency just on a ledger. So that doesn't scare me at all. I mean, it, because, because there's a dynamic for us to get to that state that means Bitcoin succeeded. And if Bitcoin succeeded, it's at a significantly higher price. It's significantly more valuable. And, and if it's more valuable, we have the incentive to, to pay that quarter percent or half a percent to miners to secure the network. And right, like that's, that's what we're doing in the real world with gold, insurance, storage costs, uh, all that stuff. So, so it, it's when you think about what the real world looks like, that's normal. That's normal. To not pay is abnormal. So, so yeah, that doesn't concern me at all. And also, I don't know what's going to happen with Bitcoin. Is 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 uh, Lightning Network going to take off? Is it going to be a payment processor? I don't really think so. I think it's going to be digital gold. And if that's the case, you don't have a ton of transactions, and you so therefore you don't have a lot of transaction fees. People should be should be holding their Bitcoin um, as a hedge or whatever. Um, you know, when you get, you get these multi, these, these mega net worths, especially in like China or other countries, it makes a lot of sense to diversify your assets. They put 
They put their money in fine art, $20 million paintings, diamonds, property all around the world. And Bitcoin's just going to be another one. It's going to be another asset to the cocktail of store of value. And, and, and think about how attractive that is to the mega networks. I'm talking about the billionaires to, to have this on, on, a, on a ledger and be able to go wherever you want and no one can confiscate it. Right. And now, now I'm seeing sophisticated people with the brain wallet, right? They're memorizing their 24 words. So, you, you know, on, on a ledger, you have your 24 seed words. They're, they're not even there. I have a, I have a colleague who's been mining since 2011. He has a brain wallet. So he's memorized all 24 words about every two weeks. He tests to assure that he's got all 24 words memorized and he can, he can just not have a ledger or anything. He can go fly to Switzerland buy a ledger, upload his seed character on that ledger, and he's got all his. And then he can just throw out that ledger, go fly to Australia. He's got his 24 characters memorized in his head, and he can get access to his coins there. Like, talk about immutability and, and portability. Portability, you can't beat it. That's It's going to be, and you, you factor in generational trends, the fact that millennials have just taken over baby boomers and the generation under us are more digital. China, 80% of payments in China are, are digital off the mobile. It just resonates with, with, the, with the upcoming generation. Digital gold is going to make a lot of sense. We just need this technology to mature. Presently, a technology in its infancy, there's a lot of volatility, so it's not truly a great store of value. But as technologies and commodities mature, the volatility gets sucked out. You know, gold, soybeans, oil, they've been around for hundreds of years, right? And and they're less volatile because the supply is better controlled. If if you're an oil company drilling oil, you have a trade desk. You're you're hedging out your futures and forward contracts 12 months. You're max you're locking in margin and that reduces volatility. And when the volatility is reduced, it's more usable for the end user. And and that's how those commodities become usable and stick around. Bitcoin right now, we have miners in China or wherever who just puke their 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 supply. They're the ones who are the suppliers, right? Bitcoin is probably going to be digital gold or commodity. And right now, the people that are controlling the new supply, they just sell at will. They market order when they get their coin from the pool. And that creates volatility. And, and then it's not as good of a store of value. And then it's not as usable for the for the for the populace but early adopters are getting into it so once we get more commoditization and more maturity on the supply side the miners which we're seeing and we get better financial products which we're seeing this is all happening right in front of our face cme futures backed options that's going to reduce volatility when that reduces volatility this becomes a more effective store of value and therefore it becomes more usable and therefore it's more of a digital gold people can use it so right now, yep. Bitcoin is a commodity in its infancy. As that matures, it improves the narrative radically. Yep. And so looking out to the coming halving, right? So we are in late March now. The halving is predicted for, call it 9th or 10th of May. So just a little over a month away. Uh, and so what we spoke about earlier is kind of getting at that idea that there might be a couple of months of, you know, shakeout before the breakout. Uh, and... I guess over time, just those investment funds and the hodlers and the people who are just stacking will basically keep purchasing new Bitcoins and there'll just be less 
selling pressure continually coming from the miners because of the halving. So is that basically your outlook on the halving in the next few months following? So um, like funds and stuff buying Bitcoin because of the halving? Yeah, and also just what happens to Bitcoin as an overall ecosystem over the next few months. I think historically we've seen the halving happens and then it's kind of the price starts to rise a few months later. Is that uh, essentially what your uh, view is on what's coming? So what we expect, there's, I think there's three dynamics. Um, it's kind of like this perfect storm for Bitcoin. Number one, the, sell, the supply side economics improve, right? The, the one thing that is a fact is that the amount of supply of Bitcoin is going to get halved, right? So if you have 50% less Bitcoin to sell, that's great for the network, right? That, that sell pressure, 50% potential is removed. So that's that's exceptional on the supply side, uh, economics for the price of Bitcoin. Now, what does that do? It Everyone knows that having is typically bullish. People understand that this supply side uh, economics is going to improve. So that improves sentiment into the system. You want, you know, it's, 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 it's improved sentiment on the, on the demand side. Investment funds, hodlers, they naturally are going to try and lean bullish. They want to be bullish because they're going, oh, the having, oh, less, less sell pressure, less supply. This is good. And, and once prices start to improve, they'll chase the momentum because sentiment improves on the demand side. Supply side economics improve because there's 50% less sell pressure. That's going to flow into the investment funds and the hodlers, and that's going to give them positive sentiment. And it's, you know, it, markets are driven by sentiment. Right. So, so if, if they naturally, right now, I think everyone's just very scared because of the US equities and, and, and what happened in Bitcoin. But overall, all these participants want Bitcoin to go up. And, and, and so it creates positive sentiment. If we get price to start ticking up, I think people are going to chase the momentum because of that positive sentiment. So, so what that does is it carries over improve, an improvement on the demand side as well. And then there's a third factor in there, which is all the debt financing, collateralization of Bitcoin. That could be a whole nother lever. You know, it it wiped it, it created a bunch of margin calls on the downside because people were over levered and, and got wiped out because there was such a nasty sell-off. But a lot of miners, they're starting to collateralize their Bitcoin. And that reduces sell pressure on the network, right? So they get their Bitcoin um, and rather than selling it, they can they can collateralize it with a lender. And they get, you know, USDT or DAI or whatever. And, that, and now they're able to get cash and pay their electricity bill. So the electricity bill is getting paid without having to sell Bitcoin. And, and, and it's essentially removing supply off the network. You know, we're kind of going through a reset because everyone got wiped out uh, on the margin calls. But people are going to start collateralizing their Bitcoin again. They won't have to sell their Bitcoin. They'll be able to fund their electricity expenses. Um and and what that will do is remove sell pressure and it's another lever of of basically improving the supply side. When you couple all these three together, that's how you position for the next leg up in Bitcoin. Fantastic. That, yeah, that's a really great um explanation there. And uh I think it's been a yeah, it's been a it's a great report. I recommend uh listeners go and have a look at it. And uh if listeners want to follow you online or keep up with Blockware Solutions is doing, uh where can they find you guys? So you can you can find me on Twitter. We uh release a lot of information off my Twitter, MJD. Uh so MJD S O U Z A two. So at that, MJ D'Souza too. 
You could also follow our Blockware Solutions team. It's at Blockware Team. And then of course, check out check out our website. We have a minor resource center, you know, calculators, projections of difficulty, all of our hardware deals. That's blockwaresolutions.com. And that's also where we print our research. Join our newsletter. We'll we'll send out our research reports as well. Fantastic. Well, I've really enjoyed chatting with you. Thanks for joining me. Likewise. Thank you so much. I found a lot of interesting insights out of that interview and make sure you check out the transcript for the podcast as well at stefanlevera.com slash 162 for this episode. Make sure you subscribe in your podcatcher applications and give the podcast a review just to help me out and get found by other people. Thanks very much and I'll see you in the Citadels.